Chapter 10 of A Game of Chance by a Self-Made Man. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10. In which Squire Jarvis fails to make a case against Will Somers. What do you mean, Mr. Brady? gasped Will Somers in the greatest astonishment. I'm sorry my duty obliges me to take you my prisoner, but I don't see any way out of it. I'll have to conduct you before Justice Benson. "'But I haven't done anything for which I should be arrested,' remonstrated Will. "'I hope you haven't,' replied the constable. "'It is quite possible some mistake has been made, "'in which case you will be immediately released.' "'There certainly is a mistake,' said the boy stoutly. "'You don't look at all like a guilty boy,' said the constable with a smile. "'I should think not. "'All right, I'm ready to face the music. "'What's the charge, Mr. Brady?' asked Mr. Davis, the engineer. "'I regret to say it's a very serious one,' replied the officer soberly. "'You don't mean to say this boy is accused of murdering somebody, do you?' said the engineer with a contemptuous laugh. "'Hardly as bad as that,' answered the officer, who saw that, officially, he was not favorably regarded by Will's friends. "'Well, what am I charged with?' asked the boy. "'Burglary. I believe you might have knocked Will, and the whole crowd, for that matter, down with a feather at that moment.' burglary. Why, it was ridiculous. Who made such a preposterous charge against this boy? demanded Mr. Davis. Squire Jarvis. That was a second surprise, but it was evidently a serious one. Surely the magnate of Northport would not make such an accusation without some ground to base it on. No one had heard that a burglary had been committed on the Jarvis premises. But suppose such had been the case— in what way was Will Summers, one of the brightest and most respected lads in town, connected with it? That was the question each one of the engine room asked himself as he looked at Will's honest face and then at the officer. "'I suppose you have a warrant with you?' asked Mr. Davis. "'I have,' answered the constable. "'Do you wish to see it?' "'Yes.' Constable Brady produced it, and the engineer found it was made out in proper form. "'I shall be ready to go along with you as soon as I get out of my working clothes,' said Will. "'But I guess the squire will find he has made a serious blunder in bringing this charge against me. "'Well, I hope you'll get out of it all right. "'It's no pleasure for me to come after you in my official capacity. "'Your father was a good friend of mine, and this job is not at all to my liking.' "'I have no fault to find with you, Constable Brady,' said the boy as he slipped off his overalls. "'In a few moments he was ready to go with the officer.' So, while the factory fire, which was now under control, held the attention of almost everybody in the vicinity, Will Summers and Constable Brady left the yard by a back gate and proceeded to the courthouse, where the officer and the justice was waiting to hold a sort of informal examination of the charge. Will was conducted to Justice Benson's office and directed to take a seat. Besides Mr. Benson, the most prominent person in the room was Squire Jarvis, who gave the prisoner a severe, uncompromising look. The gardener of the Jarvis establishment was also present. "'Will Summers, I'm sorry to have you brought before me on a criminal charge, especially one so serious as a warrant indicates. But I have no doubt you will be able to clear yourself, at least I trust so.' And Justice Benson looked kindly at the manly young fellow, whom he had known from his infancy— and who did not at all look like a boy capable of committing an unworthy action. Squire Jarvis sniffed at Mr. Benson's encouraging view of the situation, and thumped the floor with his gold-headed cane, 
as though to express his disapprobation. I want you to understand, Master Summers, that this examination is entirely informal, continued the justice, and that you are not compelled to say a word unless you choose to do so. But if you do say anything, I warn you that you are not obliged to commit yourself and that whatever you say may be used against you. If he wants to confess, he had better do it now, said the magnate impatiently. You are rather hasty, Squire Jarvis. The boy has not yet been informed in detail of the charge against him. Pooh, he knows about it better than any of us, sneered the nabob, casting a black look at Will. Squire Jarvis, I remark, is hardly a fair one, objected the justice, who was clearly favorably disposed toward the prisoner. Pooh, said the lawyer, and the lawyer thumped the floor once more. Listen to me, Master Somers, said Justice Benson. Between the hours of eleven last night and six this morning, Squire Jarvis's office, an extension of his residence, was forcibly entered. His desk pried open, and several papers, including a ten-dollar bill, were abstracted. You are charged with a crime. You wish to make any statement? I wish to say I know nothing whatever about the matter. This is the first I've heard of it. I was in bed and asleep between the hours mentioned. This general denial of the charge was received by the squire and his son, who was also present, with sneering disapproval. Then, remarked the justice, if this case ever comes up in court, you ought to be able to prove an alibi. I think the prisoner would find it a rather difficult matter to prove to the satisfaction of a judge and jury that he was in bed every moment of the time within which it was possible for him to commit this crime, said the squire acidly. "'You seem to be greatly prejudiced against this boy,' observed Justice Benson. "'Huh!' snorted the nabob, moving about in his chair. Mr. Benson took up a hammer and a cold chisel, which had been lying on his desk, and asked the constable to hand them to Will. "'Have you ever seen these implements before?' he inquired. The boy looked them over and answered promptly, "'Yes, sir. They belong to my father, for his name is upon them.' Can you assign any reason for their having been found this morning on the floor of Squire Jarvis's office? The only explanation I can offer is this. They were abstracted from our tool house last night about eleven o'clock by Ed Rickson. Who? demanded Squire Jarvis, jumping to his feet. Ed Rickson. What tomfoolery is this? He hasn't been in this neighborhood his two years back, snorted the nabob angrily. I know that answered Will calmly, but the fact that I saw him enter our tool house last night through the window and leave with something in his pocket shows that he is returned. I don't believe any such rot, said the great man rudely. Softly, Squire Jarvis, you should not attack the lad's veracity in this way. He is entitled to make whatever explanation he sees fit, and it is quite possible that he speaks the truth. Go on, Master Summers. I tried to head him off, but he jumped the fence and got away. If Ed Rickson had come back to town, I fancy I should have heard of it, said the magnate with an incredulous smile, for I was speaking to Mr. Rickson at noon today, and he made no mention of the circumstance. You cannot be ignorant of the fact that Edward Rickson did not bear a very good reputation while he lived in Northport, said Justice Benson meaningly. If we accept Master Summer's statement of his encounter with that young man last night, it certainly casts a shade of suspicion in a direction it might be well to follow up. 
If Edward Rickson did enter the Summers tool house, as the accused asserts, and I presume he is willing to swear to it in court, and the magistrate glanced inquiringly at Will. Yes, sir, answered the boy promptly. Then, continued the justice, he must have had some object in doing so. Had the object been a worthy one, it seems to me the owner of the tool house would have been consulted. As the tools found in your house this morning have been identified by the accused as the property of his family, and it has not been shown that Master Summers carried them there himself, why the inference? I beg to say that we are not dealing with inferences, said the squire stiffly. Can you prove that the accused entered your office with those tools? asked Justice Benson rather sharply. If I could, there would be no necessity for this rigmarole, replied the squire a bit disconcerted. But I can show with sufficient clearness that this summer's boy had a well-defined object in breaking into my place and rifling my desk. From which I presume you draw an inference of his guilt, said the justice with a smile, laying stress on the word inference, much to the nabob's annoyance. I believe it will establish a strong presumption in that direction, persisted the great man. I will hear what you have to say, Squire Jarvis, said Justice Benson quietly. The only thing of importance taken from my desk, proceeded the nabob, punctuating his sentences with a downward movement of his extended index finger, was a certain paper, or, to be more explicit, a note of hand deposited with me yesterday by Mr. Joe Brixon for collection. This paper would not be of the slightest use or value to Ed Rickson, assuming for the sake of illustration that it was he who broke into my office. But, sir, its destruction would be of the greatest importance to the pecuniary interest of the Summers family, inasmuch as it represents an unsettled claim against their property. Mr. Benson, interrupted Will, springing to his feet, I deny Squire Jarvis's statement that the note to which he refers represents an unsettled claim against my mother. The note was paid by my father before his death, and the attempt now made by Mr. Rickson through Squire Jarvis to collect it over again is a rank swindle. Master Summers, said the Justice mildly, you must not interrupt Squire Jarvis while he is speaking. Whatever you have to say about this matter, I will hear after the Squire has finished. The note in question, continued the magnate, casting a supercilious glance at the boy, is a promissory one for the sum of three hundred dollars drawn in favor of Joe Brixon and signed by Nathaniel Summers, together with unpaid interest to date it represents a perfectly legal claim against the drawer's estate of four hundred and twenty-five dollars. This is the vital point I wish to impress upon your attention, Mr. Benson. The other papers, as well as the ten-dollar bill, I believe, were merely taken as a blind— it is fortunate that the thief, owing to the hurry of the moment, perfectly natural to one unaccustomed to the commission of a crime, forgot to take away the implements he brought with him to accomplish his object. I believe you have a safe in your office, Squire Jarvis, said the Justice. I have. I should think, then, that it would have been the proper place for you to have kept that note. I can explain why I did not have it in the safe last night, said the lawyer pompously. I called with that note on Mrs. Summers last evening about eight o'clock for the purpose of arranging with her as to its payment. 
and Muller contested it on the ground that it had already been paid once, a fact we could prove only that the receipt had been mislaid or lost, broke in Will impetuously. Go on, Squire Jarvis, said Mr. Benson, overlooking the interruption. It was rather late when I returned home, and not caring to take the trouble to unlock my safe, I opened my desk and slipped it into one of the pigeonholes. I naturally had no suspicion that anyone was likely to break into my office during the night. Certainly no one interested in that particular bit of paper. It seems I was mistaken, concluded the lawyer grimly as he sat down again. That is all you have to say, Squire? That is all. I think it is conclusive, gazing around with a satisfied expression, when taken in connection with the testimony of my gardener, whom I will now bring forward. Jobbings, the gardener, testified to the following facts, that he had found the outside door of the Squire Jarvis's office ajar that morning at six o'clock, and on examination found that it had clearly been broken in by a cold chisel or similar instrument that he entered the office and found the evidence that the squire's desk had also been tampered with, that he had found the hammer and cold chisel which he now identified as the articles in question on the carpet beside the justice's desk, that he immediately aroused his employer and notified him of the circumstances. "'Have you anything further to say, Master Summers?' asked the justice, gazing at the boy, whose honest face and straightforward manner favorably impressed him. "'No, sir,' replied Will fearlessly. "'I should think not,' said Squire Jarvis offensively, glaring at the lad. "'I presume you'll permit the prisoner to stand trial?' "'I am afraid,' said Justice Benson, interrupting him, "'that the evidence is not sufficient to warrant holding the boy.' "'Sir!' exclaimed the squire in some astonishment. "'I am surprised that you, a lawyer, in view of the lack of evidence, "'even of a circumstantial nature, should insist on such a course.' which in the event that you afterward failed to make out a true case, would make you liable to be proceeded against in a civil suit for damages. Will Summers, you are discharged. Thank you, Mr. Benson. And putting on his hat, he walked out of the justice's office a very happy boy. End of chapter 10